Today is week two of uh, our emotional health series. So if you missed last week, please go back and listen to the podcast. It was such a great, powerful message from Ryan. And um, last week we looked at the importance of looking beneath the surface of our lives in order to, with God's help, see ourselves as we really are. And uh, then to grow in the ways he is growing us. And today we are going to be looking at our second principle, breaking free from your past. This is a big one, breaking free from your past. And the whole idea of this series is that we want to move from a shallow faith to deep transformation. That's the whole idea. And um, in this series, each week is a piece of the puzzle. There are about five or six principles we are trying to learn in order for us to grow, becoming emotionally mature Christians. I want to say that when it comes to breaking free from your past, each family, we all have our past. We all have our past, and I'm going to start by sharing one, because yes, I do have one, my family do have one. And uh, in some ways, um, our past shapes the way we do things, the way we see other people, the way we make decisions, and uh, the way we relate to other people. That's why I said this is a big topic because it is calling us to break free from our past. And uh, we are going to see how God is calling us to do that. So when I look into the history of my family, from great-great-parents, there is a history which happened. I was not there. Apparently, there was something that happened between people from the same province, but they were only separated by a river. Those people fought and killed each other. They really killed each other. As a result of that all, there was a decision that was made from my father's side that no one will ever cross the river to go marry on the other side. Now that's hatred. That is, um, is to say that, now imagine you were born in that, on this side or you were born on that side, but you are not part of what had happened, but this is what you were told. So I've seen it with all my uncles and my aunties. When it comes to the decision of getting married, they have to make sure that they don't cross the river. Now when it came my turn to get married, I needed to make a decision whether I have to cross the river or not. Now we have to understand most of our family uh, rituals or legacy, how to do with honoring either your great-great-parents or honoring your parents. The best way to honor my parents was to marry someone from where my father came from. 
But I had to make a decision because for me, as a Christ follower, I was looking even beyond the skin color, the color of the skin. I wasn't thinking, you know, I wanted to break the the rules. I wanted to disobey in other ways. But every disobedience has a consequence. I think you know it. So I remember when my time came, I, was, I said I wanted to marry. I was presented with about 30 pictures of different women who were coming from my father's family, uh, my father's village. 30 of them. And that was after I announced that I've met who is now my wife. Because she's from the other side of the river. Innocent, innocent. But we need to decide whether we are going to break free from this past event, which I was not part of. But I have to be prepared to face the consequences of my decision. And when I was presented with those photos, and the question was, don't you think we have beautiful women better than the one that you've presented to us? I disobeyed. I break free from the past. I decided, I said, whatever the consequences, I'm going to make a choice, and this is my choice. Because the culture of God and the culture of Jesus does not look, doesn't look at the color of the skin, it doesn't look whether you cross the river, it doesn't, it, it breaks all the barriers. If people from the north cannot marry those who are on the south, but the scriptures are different. This is a new culture where we can do it without fear. We can do it without having even to think because this is a new culture that we've been adopted into. Amen. I disobeyed my parents. I break the power of the past event. I said no to that. Are you prepared to honor Christ by saying no? It doesn't mean that all the history or riches of every family they are just bad. No, there are some good stuff that we carry with us. And it is the good that I want to focus on tonight by looking at the bad and said, but how can we change history if you are a Christ follower? Write a history that is going to last. So even when I think about our children at our doorpost, there is no such a thing as, you know, uh, marriage is, um, the right to marry is only reserved to Congolese men or Congolese women. No, it is not on our doorpost. I can't wait if Jesus doesn't return now. I can't wait to see our children getting married to someone from China, Japan, or whichever background, as long as they understand that we've got values and our belief system is that we believe in the living God. I don't mind for them to bring us anyone from any other kind of group of people. The right to marry in our family is not reserved only to Congolese people or only to black people. No. 
We have decided to break that. Friends, it's what you sit with your kids and what you tell them. You are writing a story. But you have to make a decision. What kind of story am I wanting my kids to write when I'm gone? What kind of legacy do I want to leave behind? And what kind of legacy did Christ leave for the church that we have to follow? Do we have to honor the legacy that we get from our families? Or do we have to honor the legacy that we get from the new family that is called the family of God? We are going to be looking. We are going to do... What we are going to be doing this morning is to follow a family through a few generations and see if we can spot any patterns developing in their lives. And I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12 because what I'm talking about, it's, it's really, as I said, all families, we've got some history So we'll be reading from verse 10. But before we go to verse 10, I just want to summarize verse 1 and 3. Here God calls a man named Abram, and he tells him to leave behind the place and the world he knew. He said, I want you to leave your place and this world, the world that you are familiar with, and follow God to a new place and a new future for his family. Surprisingly, Abraham accepted to follow God's call. Now, I have to mention that God did not move towards Abraham because Abraham was godly. No. God moved towards him the same way that he will move towards you today or the same way that he has moved towards you and towards me. Not because we are godly, because God is gracious. Like you and me, Abraham had his loads of baggages when God called him. We read verse 10. So please, you are going to bear with me. We'll take so much time just reading because I want us to understand it. So then we'll spend a short time in looking at how can we break the power of our past. And uh, there I've got five things that I'm going to be sharing with us, which um, we'll try to put into practice uh, in helping us to break the power of our past. Now, there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are, When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Tomorrow is Women's Day. What is Abraham doing here? If it's my Nigerian friends... If it's my Nigerians' friends, uh, reading just these few verses, they'll go, Chinekeo, here is Father Abraham lying about his wife to protect his own skin. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman, and when uh, when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. 
and she was taken into his palace. He traded Abram well for a sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases in Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is, your, she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him, they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Now, if we had to put it in today's context, you know, to our brothers and sisters, foreigners in this country, including myself, it seems like the permanent resident application, Abraham permanent resident application was revoked by Pharaoh. His asylum seeker denied by Pharaoh. Do you see that? Very interesting. Also, moving on a few chapters now, Abraham continues on his journey towards the land God was leading him to. We jump to chapter 20, and Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gira, and there Abraham said to his wife Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech king of Gira sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Chinekeo. It again, it happens again with Father Abraham. Now, this is, this is the second time. What we see here, it's not just a once-off act. This is habitual. It's, it's become something that Abraham is used to he can actually sacrifice the wife so that he can actually get, you know, personal interest, selfishness. This is the second time with another person telling the same lie. Now, in Genesis 26, we meet Abraham's son, Isaac. Now we are into the second generation. And we read chapter 26. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. Now, the similar kind of a situation, but this is now with Abraham's son. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gera. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I saw to your father, Abram. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offsprings, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abram obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commandments, my degrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Kira. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill, it, kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. 
So I thought they would kill him on account of Rebecca because she's beautiful. Now, just when you th- we pause a bit, we are, we are in the second generation. It feels like he was reading a memo, his father, late father's memo, like it, he, he's doing exactly what his father did. It feels like this family has a very good generation of beautiful men because he said she's beautiful, referring just as the same way the father had said, and I want you to say that you are my sister. Now, listen to this. Exactly same king, exactly same place, and the son is acting exactly the same way that the father did it. It's very profound. The way we see sin of the father lives on and is at play in his son's life. That's where that expression comes in. Like father, like son. It lives on. It didn't stop with Isaac. It lives on in Isaac's children too. It went to the, next gen- to the third generation. Years later, Isaac is wanting to bless his son Esau. If you can turn over the page to Genesis 27, verse 18. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, Who is it? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Jacob went close close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat so that I may give you my blessing. Here it's Jacob Isaac's son, lying to his own dad. Can you see how it moved first generation to second and third? In order to steal something from his brother. Jacob then goes on to become a coin man, repeatedly lying, telling lies. We jump quick to chapter 37, verse 2. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Now it's moving to the fourth one. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wife, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about the, he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel, also known as Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an honest robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Here we see favoritism just like his father and mother. 
This is the fourth generation now. Then fast forward, verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the hornet robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern, the cistern, or the pit. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from um, Gilead, them, their camels were, look, were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our only flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. Those of you who have watched that Nigerian, Nigerian movie, Flesh and Blood, at least you know where they got the title from. So when the, uh, the uh, midnight merchants, merchants came by, he, his brothers put Joseph up out of the, uh, the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the, uh, to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there. He tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They, look, um, they took the honored robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's Rob. They don't even say, examine it to see if it's our brother's robe. But they said, your son's robe, because they knew what they had already done. And um, he recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites saw Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. This is God's word. Father, we thank you. We give you the glory. We honor you. Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. Lord, I pray that we'll be open to your correction. I pray that we'll be open, God, to your leadership. Holy Spirit, won't you come and speak to us this morning? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Wow, that was quite a read. <laughs> Going to fourth generation. I started by saying we all families. Right now, I want you to think about your own family. Here, there are three things that we pick up in this generation. Lies, then there's hatred that we pick, we pick up, hate, and there is also favoritism in this generation. The one that we see, Abraham, it started with him, it moves, it goes, Isaac, Jacob, but then it, it continued. And we are not to undermine the power of what we got from our families. Yeah. Here we see that 
generation after generation repeating the same sins of their parents. Let me give us the last one. Then I am going to explain why we should not undermine whatever we have inherited from our families. At the same time, why we shouldn't just stop and hang on there, but we should find ways of moving forward in breaking the power of the past. So Exodus chapter 20, I just want to read verse 4 and 5, verse 4, 5 and 6. By the way, after this series, we are going to be looking into the book of Exodus as a church. That's where we're going to be joining. Verse 4, this is in the middle of giving the Ten Commandments. Listen to what God said. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, the question is, what is going on here? Is God really saying, because of my grandparents and my parents, God is going to punish me because of their sins? I don't think that's what God is saying. So to those you know, if you are implicated, if you don't break the, the, the power of the past, if you continue to live, if you continue to practice, if you continue to live into the reality because you choose to honor them and not honoring God, obviously you are going to face God's judgment. So what do we learn from, from this? We learn that Generational sin is a real thing. Generational sin is a real thing and we cannot undermine it. So when we think of sin, sin in some way is like genetics that are passed down from parent to child. And the children will act based on what they've seen their parents do, or what they've heard their parents say, or maybe you don't tell them directly or intentionally sit around the table and tell them about the people who live on the north or the south, like in my case, but your actions and the people you invite often in your home, they reflect your kids when they see that's what they'll take with them going forward. Does that make sense? So every time you have meal, every time you have brides, I'm now bringing it to a context. The kind of people you invite in your house, your children are watching. You are not telling them to say, these are the only people you should invite, but they can observe. They are watching, they see, and that will go on. They will remember that our parents who are having brides with people look like us. Keeping quiet is not solving or fixing the problem. Not saying anything, you are still contributing to the scene 
And if we are to break, for instance, the scene of racism, we don't have to keep quiet, or we have to attack it even in our actions. Avoiding to say something about it doesn't help. Saying something about it in a bad way doesn't help either. Our actions, if they are good, it helps because they send a positive message. But if our actions are really feeding it, then they are not sending a positive message. And I'm saying this, this is not only about a particular group of people, this is all of us. One person asked me a question one day, Andre, do you think a black person can be a racist? I said, yes. Hmm, don't keep quiet. It's true. I know so many black friends who are racist. All right, I'm using that because we are living in a context where it is massive. Generational sin is a real thing. There is a bend toward a specific kind of sin that, you know, many other sins, but a lot of what we do, believe it or not, is because of how we were raised. Our biological families have and continue to shape the way we make decisions even today. What we were taught, what we saw, what happens. Imagine in my situation, I was never there. This thing happened so many years ago, but at least they wanted me to continue with this legacy. In other, it is a legacy, a legacy to honor some great, great parents, which they wanted me to carry on with. But if I want to see a new story written, I have to refuse and break free from the power of the past. The other thing we learn is that sin has consequences that last for generations. Seen as consequences that last for generations. I've, had, I've come across many people say, in our families, we don't marry. They're actually affirming it. And when you ask the question, why? No, it's because our great great did this and this. Or in our family, you know, because my grandparent divorced, my father divorced, etc. Then the consequences of the way that person lived their life, it's based on that. It's the consequences of the sin that started somewhere. There are people who are suffering because of their parents' divorce decades ago, but they are still suffering that. But more importantly is that we see too that on the scale of God's mercy and judgment, God wins every time. Like we read in Exodus 20, you know, it says that it will pass and fourth generation. But when it comes to his mercy and love, he said to thousand generation. You can see that the mercy of God and his love, it goes to thousand generation. The punishment only stops itself to the third and fourth generation. God's art is to show us mercy and love. 
and God isn't punishing you for the sins of your grandparents. However, if that is at play in your own life because you have a decision to make, then you are going to face God. I'll repeat again. Believe it or not, a lot of things that we do is connected to how we were raised. I love what Pete Scazzero says this in his book. In emotionally health churches, people understand how their past affects their ability to love each other and others. They have realized from scripture and life that an, in, an intricate, complex relationship exists between the kinds of persons they are today and their past. Numerous external forces may shape us, but the family we have grown up in is the primary and except in rare circumstances in the primary and most shaping influence in who we are. He said the family we are raised in is the primary place. That's where whatever we are doing today, the way we see other people, we are shaped best from where we come from. And you would agree with me, there are stuff that you were taught and you still hold to them very tightly. And those things continue to shape the reality of how you see other people today. And God is wanting to help you to break free from those things. And God is calling you to change. He's calling you to this new family. The family of God where you look at people, you see them the same way that God sees them. Let me speak a bit to Christian parents because I'm one. Friends, we have the opportunity, if Jesus doesn't come back soon, we have the opportunity when we are gone to leave our kids with a liberty to write a story better than the story that we know. It is possible. Do you believe that? If you believe it, say Amen. It is possible. We have the opportunity, if Jesus doesn't return, to equip our kids to write a story that is going to replace the story, the bad story of this nation. It is possible. And the good news is that your history is not your destiny. The past history, that's not your destiny. And you don't have to come there to say, I've arrived. No, that's not your destiny. Now, let's move quick. How do we break this power of the past? Break the power of the past. How do we do it? Because we all do have those things from the past. But how do we break this power of the past? So the first one is identify it and own it. You have to identify it. Here's the question you can ask. Ask who are the people and what are the events that have shaped me into the person that I am today? 
Listen, who are the people and what are the events? Now, I've given you the example of the people. To honor my parents, I needed not to cross the river to go marry on the other side. Because of the past event that had happened. Now, think in your context. Who are the people, the events that have made you to become who you are today? Will those events or those people help you to be a better person or a bad person? On your sin. What did you do? Or what did I do? Or what are they saying? Or what did you do, think, or feel? I love Psalm 51, verse 3. It says, For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. He identified his sins. Can you identify the sins of your grandparents and your parents? And can you stop and say, God, I know their sins, and I'm not willing to participate in them. They're before me, but I'm bringing them to you. I've heard people say that, but I never participated. I was never there. I was never there, but I was influenced to hate people from the other side. But I refuse to hate them. I don't know what is in your family. Is it hate towards other people? Is it the spirit of superiority? And they told you that in our family, power is everything. We are not failures. And you've, that's how it was from your grandfather. And they show you the trophies, but they don't tell you how he got those trophies. And your father as well got so many trophies, but you don't ask, how did you get it? They say, whatever it takes, if it means to kill, kill, so that you can get these trophies as the best businesswoman or businessman. You need to recognize those sins and you need to say no to them. And you need to bring them before God. Identify it and own it. The second one is understand your heart. And some of the people first on the first point is to identify. You were told a story. You never live in that, in, in, in that particular thing. But why do you continue to hate people yet you never live in it? There is no way that you can break the power of your past. If you don't identify and own it and say, okay, God, the reason I hate Sabrina, it's not because Sabrina did something to me directly. It's because Sabrina's mom, I was told by my grandfather that Sabrina's mom killed my aunt. Now, I hate Sabrina. Now, but now I'm a Christ follower. Should I continue to hate Sabrina? No, I identify it. I know it was something wrong. Though I continue to feel this emotion of hatred and all that and this sin in me, but I want to own it. I want to bring it. David says, for I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And, 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 and is, he can name it. It is not good to participate in some other people's sin. That's not good. A lot of us, we are victims of what had happened. But if we have a choice to say, I am going to continue to carry this bad legacy 
or I'm going to continue to choose and write a good story to change the past. You know, to change the image of the past. We cannot change history. We cannot undo. We cannot, but we can actually present a different image to the world, to those people around us. Secondly, understand your art. What are the roots of your sin? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me, O Lord. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Friends, heart and thoughts. As I said, the things that the decision we make, the way we see people, etc. It's all coming from here. It's all coming from our heads. It's coming from our heart. Thirdly, confess your sin. Move towards people. What do you need to confess to God? Psalm 38, verse 18. I confess my iniquity and sorry for my sin. I am sorry for my sin. I think a few weeks ago I spoke about Nehemiah. When he prayed a prayer, when he heard about what had happened to the walls of Jerusalem, he did not just confess his own sin. He confessed even the sins of his grandparents. He said, I, 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 I confess... And for disown your sin, what has Jesus done for you? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 13, 14. I have been forgiven by God. I had the right to stand and look at into the eyes of my family and said to them, I don't know what happens. I was never there, but I'm a cross follower. I am a sinner. I've been forgiven by God. I am looking unto the woman I'm going to marry. I forgive her if you don't want me to do that, but I am doing it because I've been forgiven by God. I am going to do it because I've been adopted. I'm now a member of a family of God and where forgiveness is given freely and conditional love is given freely. I've been loved by God unconditionally. I am not a perfect person. As a result, I can transfer the same message to people around me. I'm going to marry this woman. As to the ground, I am going to love her. I'm going to do this. You can do the same. Around people around you, I can do the same. We have a responsibility. Friends, a child who has been adopted starts to learn the new rhythm even when it comes to the sleeping patterns. He's no longer sleeping the way he was sleeping or she was sleeping where they were before. This is a new family. God has brought us into a new family. We've been adopted. So the heart safe has to go. The hard way of doing things has to disappear because God is teaching us the new way. When we hear the word love, we don't just love the people who look like us. We love the people we found in God's family. We even love those who don't speak like us. We even love those who don't look like us because we've been loved by God unconditionally. God has transferred us from kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is the message of peace, the message of hope that we are to teach and preach to one another. The only way we can break the power of the past is to disown your sin. To understand what Christ has done for us. And finally, we cannot do this 
without the help of the Holy Spirit. Ask the Spirit for help. How do you need the how do you need the Spirit to help you? Listen to this. Luke chapter 11 verse 13. If you then, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I'm going to ask the band to come up. We are going to ask God that to help us with the Holy Spirit. We cannot break the power of the past without the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's stand. Let's join the band. Friends, the guy called Joseph, when he was sold by his brothers, later on the brothers, they came to seek for help in Egypt. He was in good position. He had the responsibility. He had all the reason to revenge against his brothers, but he did not do, he did not do that. He, he looked at them, and he said, whatever you meant for evil, God meant it for good. You know that, you know, whatever was done in your life, do you actually believe that God can use the evil for your good? We have to ask the question, how does God see my pain? And what does he have to say about it? How does he see my pain? When he looked at Joseph being sold, being, how did God sold? God knew that this same guy one day is going to rescue this group of people. Let them do it, but one day he's going to be the savior. He's going to help them. God can use what was evil for good. Jesus' resurrection is about God doing the impossible. Redeeming our pain and bringing something beautiful out of it. But yet when Jesus was going through that road, when Ran spoke last week, he spoke about the emotion that Jesus went through. He said, let not my will but your will. Because he was saying, God, use this time for your glory. And what Jesus went through was painful, but it was for, for our good. We could not have this family today if Jesus did not go through that pain. It may be the same with you. What you went through, don't just hang on there and think that you have to all the time say they did this to me or that one did this to me, but you have to say, God, won't you use this situation for your glory? Won't you help me and use me to be someone who is going to bring up a story that is going to change the image of this nation to the glory of your name? Friend, Christianity never starts with a massive group of people to change the world. There were 12 guys when they discovered the truth of the gospel and see that the resurrected king was alive and they were prepared to get their head cut because they believe in the truth of the gospel. They believe that it is possible for the gospel to change and transform lives because it transforms them. It is not impossible for God to use you to write a new story in this nation. It's not impossible with God. Can we trust him with our past so we can find freedom in our present? Can I invite you to please bow your heads? Those of you who feel comfortable just to close your eyes and I want to pray then the band is going to land us in a song of celebration. I want you to think about this. Invite God and say, 
Lord, I'm bringing my past to you. I'm bringing my past to you because I believe that I can find freedom by laying them down before you, by surrendering them to you. I believe that I, I will find freedom in you, Jesus. All the emotions of hate, favoritism, racism, and all these kind of um, bad emotions, I want to let them go. I want to embrace the emotions that are positive, that are, that are going to help me be a person you want me to be. Dear Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I bring them before you. Lord, as they present their past before you this morning, I pray that, Lord, help them. Set them free from the power of the past. Set them free, Lord. Set us free, Jesus. We thank you. We bless you. Just pray with just a God bring this to you. Name it, identify it, own it, confess it before God. Allow God to help you, to set you free from it. Yes, God will do that right out, right out. Trust Him. Thank you, Lord. In your name, Jesus, I pray.